I love this combination. There is creativity, there is individuality, there is leadership, and there is um, you magnetizing the right people with your message that is not a mainstream message. Magnificence is the boundless expanse of being, a liberation from limitation. It is the embodiment of authenticity where you shed the shackles of self-doubt, shame, and imposter syndrome. Here, worthiness flourishes like a vibrant garden where you have the power to determine your actions, destinations, and your closest relationships. In the realm of magnificence, creative individuality takes center stage. Your greatness is acknowledged, celebrated, and nurtured. Gone are the days of mindless conformity or fitting in just to keep the peace. This show and your host, Patricia Linder, are here to guide you as you align with your authentic design, leading the way to a life of purpose and fulfillment. Magnificence is not some unreachable peak or distant dream. It's inside you, waiting to shine brighter than you ever thought possible. Welcome to your magnificence. Hello and welcome to another episode of Magnificence, the empowerment podcast that strikes a match and shines the light on its guests. And today I have with me the amazing and magnificent Sofron Bagali. Hello and welcome to the show. Hello and thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to have you and I'm so excited to dive into your chart and all stuff around what you have to offer because um, I think this is going to be an amazing, amazing episode where two different systems sort of marry or maybe even not. And so before we dive into that, I would love to introduce you a little bit and then ask you to maybe tell us more about who you are and what you do. So I just have this short bio about you and so for everyone who is watching, Safran is the founder of the Personal Mastery Lab. She is a global master facilitator and an international narrative Enneagram teacher. She's also author of an internationally renowned Enneagram leadership program. And I want to sum this up, she too is on a mission to bring out the best in people. So again, welcome to the show, Safran. Thank you for being my guest. And um, maybe thank you for diving deeper into who you are and what you do. Oh, Patricia, it's such a pleasure and it's an absolute privilege to be here. I'm very excited because I find human design hugely exciting. Thank you. You're welcome. And Everything merges with the Enneagram. So I, I think that's going to be a really yeah. fun exploration. So tell us more about what you do. So there, uh, there is so much more deep information about you. How come that you deal a lot with the Enneagram? How did you come to really focus on the Enneagram? What is the background? How did you discover it? So there are so many questions that are on my mind. Well, I'm a sociologist by profession, which basically means I study human behavior and social dynamics. And I often joke and say, 
I've hacked into people's lives for as long as I can remember. In fact, I've just been absolutely fascinated by humans, honestly, since I was a child. And when I discovered the Enneagram, I was actually hitchhiking across the United States of America in 1997. And I got picked up by this really hippie looking man who started talking to me about the Enneagram, but I was an arrogant 21-year-old social science student. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this guy has given me a Christmas present in that he's given me this way to hack into what goes on beneath the surface for people. And honestly, when I first met the Enneagram, I don't think I was mature enough to appreciate its real value. And then I went back to varsity after the summer. I went to Trinity College in Dublin. And I always say, you know, I discovered boys and beer at varsity, not so much behavior. And um, and I sort of forgot about the Enneagram, if I'm really honest with you. And then I, the, it resurfaced for me in 2004 when I was in therapy, to be honest. I was teaching at the time. And one of my students asked me one day, why I sometimes looked so sad, which really horrified me because I was like the cool teacher who was always bringing fun and joy into the classroom. And of course, the up my game and she came to me later and said, you know, I know what you're doing, but you still look really sad. And after 18 months of fighting this kid, she basically manipulated me into going to see her mother, who was a therapist. I was 28 years old and that was nearly 20 years ago. And, and she was the person who introduced the Enneagram to me as a personal mastery tool that I could take a lot more seriously. And I actually started applying it to myself first. So unlike the 21-year-old who thought I was going to hack into people's lives and basically score a way to quickly get through to people, um, I, I started to appreciate its its really profound and and quite honestly spiritual aspect of the Enneagram. The more mature me uh, appreciated that. And and that's when I really began to seek, I suppose, more deeply into the Enneagram. And then I wasn't even working in the personal mastery lab at that point. I was a school teacher, to be honest. And it was only when I started my business because I thought school teaching had a ceiling for me. And obviously, the reason why I started my business was because I couldn't afford my horses on a teacher's salary. So I always say to people, I didn't have this kind of big ambition, but I sort of fell into it through my own journey of self-discovery and personal mastery, which ended up being so healing and so extraordinary for me that I decided to implement it and bring it to other people because I thought I can't be the only person going through the stuff that I'm going through. And if we could access a map and a mirror to give us a language to be able to be the best version of ourselves that we could be, but also to understand why we cope. And I always refer to the Enneagram as a coping strategy. It's not who we are. It's the way we cope with things. And then, yeah, I guess it just sort of unfolded and unfolded and unfolded. And here I am today having applied it to leadership and and to diversity and inclusion and and mapping out for big corporations really how to bring out the best of their people because behind the numbers are always people, right? Yeah. And, um, and it's been an incredible journey. That is amazing and it is stunning and I tell you why. So what you said 
really shit me because I didn't know about that background. And that is so fascinating because let me share. So you were in America in 1997, right? So we could yeah. have met, we could have met there. We are almost, really? we are almost the same age. We both have the background of being a school teacher. So I was a school teacher for 17 and a half years and I was in a leadership position uh, to teach and train teachers. And there was this ceiling for me. So I was like, no, this is my story. No way. And then we are almost the same age. That's what I said. And we are two manifesting generators. Um, that is, that's what, what is the bridge to human design. And so I was like, no, no, this is my story. No, no way. And the same thing happened to me with human design. Uh, I discovered it many years ago and I was like, nah, doesn't interest me. I don't want to box in people. I don't want to say, oh yeah, they are like this and because of their type, they can't do that. It's not for me. And then I rediscovered it when I was more mature, like you said. And so isn't that incredible? <laughs> Incredible, and it also does surprise me because that's how the world works, isn't it? We are all so profoundly connected. Yeah. And I also always joke and say, if you've been a school teacher, you can do anything. I think so. I think so. So you're used to many things, and you are a check of all trades. Um, and I don't know how to put it into a positive way because check of all trades sometimes sound so negative, but really. It helps me a lot to have this background and to have so many other tools and techniques that serve me and serve my clients. So you're so right. And so I think now is a great time to really look at your chart as we talked about you being a manifesting generator. So yeah. I would love to share the screen. And I must tell you, I really love that name. I'm very pleased that I'm a manifesting generator. Yeah. yeah, I love it too. And maybe you also like uh, when I say the other name that I use very often is um, Time Bender. Yeah, oh, I didn't even see that. I love that term, yes. So Time Bender is because so for everyone who never ever heard anything about human design, the manifesting generator or Time Bender is a hybrid version of two types so there is the manifesting part and the generator part. So when I looked at your chart, Sofran, I thought I would love to give this episode the topic of she's a powerhouse and she's highly sensitive. So I totally see both sides. And this is so typical for the manifesting generator being this powerhouse, being able to manifest, bring things into existence and working hard on developing your skills and your mastery. Um, and so this is all in your chart. And um, someone who is multi-passionate and multi-potentialite. So I would love to really stress this when looking at your chart. And um, what stood out and I would love to share this with you and with everyone when you look at your chart. What stands out is that you have the defined centers 
like this is like a thread you have them in a row like there is this highway of channels from your sacral center through the self center through the throat and up to the ashna center your computer and that's what stood out when i looked at it and then um that's why i gave it the name of she's a powerhouse so there is the power the centers the the sacral center the knowledge of who you are the power to manifest and to speak your truth and to even have the capacity to really uh, bring things into existence that are in your mind and then it's like a, a beautiful picture of someone who has those antennas on the outside you see that as the open centers someone who is highly sensitive and who can sense and feel the emotions of other people who is a sensitive person in so many ways that could be uh when it comes to taking medicine that could be when it comes to interacting with people um taking on inspiration so there is so much sensitivity in your chart as well and now i would love to ask you if this resonates with you wow patricia like talk about hitting me in my solar plexus yeah yes i think that a sensitive powerhouse should be my new hashtag yes it 100% describes me and when you talk about my sensitivity i am a deeply feeling human i have been for all my life and i didn't know and i've only discovered actually quite recently and i'm about to turn 48 years old i've only discovered quite recently that i i do sense people's energy and i thought everybody did this and i've just discovered that this is not the case and i i actually always thought that it was perhaps because i grew quite a tough environment growing up was hard for me my my parents and we were quite poor and we were immigrants and it was a, it was a difficult time in the country and yeah and i thought that was perhaps why i had uh, developed this sensitivity for others but now you're saying that it's in my chart uh, yeah it's it's a thing that resonates and then the powerhouse absolutely i mean for as long as i can remember i've been getting into trouble for standing up for what i believe in for standing up for what's right i'm extremely vocal when i don't believe people are behaving responsibly or with integrity and i have an enormous sensitivity around injustice i've always stood up for the underdog and fought for those who don't have a voice and want to include those who are excluded I grew up in apartheid South Africa so we were really really sensitive to this stuff and I think that's why diversity and inclusion has become a passion for me in my work and um and also as a sociologist I'm very aware that social exclusion is the most traumatic thing you could ever do to any human brain and I was very socially excluded as a child because poverty brings shame and people don't like that people don't like poor people that's what I've grew up realizing and i always say to people if you pity me it's the worst thing you can ever do to me don't ever ever pity me that's what i'm really sensitive well, to yeah i totally get it and so now i 
I would love to talk about two things. So there is the manifesting generator brain, but I want to focus on one thing first, and this is the sensitivity um, before I focus on the powerhouse aspect. So the sensitivity, there are so many um, aspects of your sensitivity, but talking about really taking on the sensations and feeling what other people feel, that is um, that you can see that right here, that is the open emotional center. And um, I think this is a gift. It could be a challenge for people if they are not aware about it. Um, because then you could soak up the emotions of others like a sponge and have them all in your system and clutter your system with all the emotions of everyone around you. And um, so doing really harm to your system. Um, but when you're aware of the openness and that you have this capacity and ability to tune into other people and their emotions, then it is amazing because then, first of all, you can feel and sense the emotions. And second, you can act as a screen or a mirror and mirror them back to the person that is sitting in front of you or that is working with you or just having a conversation with you. I sense that you really are aware of this capacity that this openness brings um, for your work. So when you work with people, do you use this openness and this ability to to feel what they feel, to to really tune into their emotions. Yeah, look, I I am not a two on the enneagram. For any of your listeners who know the enneagram, the two is the one that has this kind of vacuum cleaner in their heart that plugs into other people's suffering, and that's not how I experience my sensitivity. I'm a seven on the enneagram. And we are thought of as cerebral humans, but of course, all humans are sensitive and we have the one and I have a tri-type of four, which, and I know I'm speaking another language, but that is the, the very, very sensitive people. If I answer your question, in my 20s and early 30s, I would say that I got uh, very involved in everybody that I worked with. I was, you know, I'd lie awake at night and worry about them and in a way, take it on. I would say that I've had to learn to separate um, my empathy and my compassion for people in my work. And now, after 19 years of being a coach and facilitator, I'm able to have compassion, but what I call detached compassion, so that I, I feel it. And by the way, one of the other things that I've ironically had to learn is not to try and fix it for others or, or kind of bypass it or make it happier for them because that's a seven trait. It's part of our coping strategy. And so now I know how to, I think I know how to um, sit with it and hold the energy that somebody's experiencing, but not allow them to wallow in it or myself to be impacted by it. And it does, I, I'm sure you know in your own work too, you know, sometimes one meets somebody or works with somebody that just sort of creeps in a little more than other people. Mm -hmm. And then 
other times I do have to confess. I kind of go, oh, get over yourself. But I would never say that to a client. But I'm definitely, um, yeah, I'm definitely able to balance it more. What I find uh, is that I'm better working with humans than I am with any other beings. I get very deeply affected by the suffering of animals. And through my own therapeutic work, I've realized that they just are a representation of me. And so, yeah, my ability to detach is definitely learned behavior. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing this. And so this is so, and I think this is your openness that you are so tuned into animals. Um, And I think you are all about horses and they are highly sensitive animals. That's at least what I know about horses. Um, The biggest limbic system relative to their brain size more than any other animal on the planet. They are hugely uh, good at therapy. And this is why I love to work with them in my leadership programs. Yeah. And by the way, horses will always tell you the truth. They're a mirror. Yeah. How you're- yeah, I heard about that. That is so interesting. But you mentioned the Enneagram and um, maybe people don't know about the Enneagram and you said, oh, seven and a four. And so, by the way, um, this is another thing that is the same for you. You said, I'm a seven. Yes, I'm a seven as well. As well. I- so isn't, isn't that spooky? I know. It's totally crazy. We're so, so connected. Yeah. Um, just in very simple wording what is the enneagram and how can people use it and how could leaders use it yeah i don't know how anybody stays married or parents their children or works with anybody sells to anybody without the enneagram and obviously i'm biased essentially the enneagram is is considered a personality profiling tool But I think what really distinguishes the Enneagram from other personality or typologies is that it really unpacks for us what is this unconscious strategy that we have that fuels or motivates our behavior. So it's definitely not about boxing you into behaviors. It's about providing us with a language to understand why we need certain things and why certain things are important to us. In other words, what would trigger us? And then it gives us the language to be able to communicate with others, which is, I think, the essence of every single relationship. And I often, when I'm training my leaders and executives, I talk about the fact that each one of us experienced a wounding in our early holding environment. I mean, none of us are exempt from shame and a wounding. And we come to believe certain things about ourselves. This is actually what my master's thesis was all about. I'm an identity theorist as a social scientist. And um, and the Enneagram is, is is a modality or a system that helps us see and understand that there are nine different energies or nine different core beliefs or nine different ways of being in the world. And that's because there were nine different strategies for coping with this wounding in our early childhood development. And I think it's a very accessible way to um, to grow and to heal and to understand and to 
and have compassion for ourselves first and with other people. And that's the basis of all connection, right? So that's why I say I don't know how people live without the Enneagram, but I do realize I'm biased. And so just to give you an example, the seven's wounding is around reliability. Who can I really rely on? I can rely on me and other people can rely on me. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I can ever rely on others, yeah. which is our path to healing because it can be, as you say, it's always a conundrum and it's always a continuum. And so that belief can be very good because then we become self-sufficient and strong and independent and that's what we both are, I'm sure. But at the same time, it can help or lead us to believe that we're alone and alone here. And so this core belief and understanding our core belief, no matter who we are and where we are in our lives, you know, we don't have to be in management or an executive order. I think that if we understand this and can learn to work with this, we can be the best version of ourselves that we can be. And so for our strategy, it's to become aware that we're not alone and to see that we can rely on other people, for example. And that opens up a whole new perspective on how to be in the world. And my whole mission, because I'm very much about the consciousness of the body and teaching people about somatic intelligence, the intelligence of the body, because the body never lies and it keeps the score. And we've all been conditioned and socialized into not feeling our feelings. You know, that's kind of taboo. And you mentioned it earlier. I teach people to sense their body. And what is that body telling you right now? And then how do we breathe through that so that we can find equilibrium again? And as I always say to my clients, it's free and it's quick. And then when we get back to that equilibrium within ourselves, then we can make better decisions, we can be more creative, we can manage our stress, we can do all the things that we need to be doing, especially in 2023, 2024, because we all know what, what's going on in terms of overwhelm and stress. And for me, the whole mission is teaching people, and the Enneagram gives us this, teaching people strategies for creating emotional and psychological safety for themselves, no matter what's going on in their world. I love it. And I have a couple of questions. So the first thing that came to my mind was, as you said, it is a coping strategy that is inside the type that you are in the Enneagram. So we talked about that before I pushed the record button so I, I read that, so I'm a seven, I'm like Peter Pan, I'm always about magic and outgoing and everything is um, magical. And that's not true. Um, I love this part of who I am, but when I think about what you said, then it's a coping mechanism um, that is around this reliability when you talk about the seven. So the Enneagram is something that is formed in the first couple of years. So there is no birth type Enneagram type or is there? So that is my first question. Is it something that we take on? Because if I had different parents, maybe I would be a six or a one or a two. Yeah. 
Yeah. So from a, a neuroscience point of view, we believe that the Enya type starts to form as soon as the nervous system starts to form, which is actually in utero. Uh-huh. However, there are five different dimensions as to how our Enya type might be formed. And one of them is our lineage. So perhaps it's our ancestral lineage. I believe it's a kind of, um, it, it's the ego's coping strategy because of a karmic lesson that we have come into this world to learn. And in some of the Enneagram schools, we actually talk about the lost childhood message. And so for, for example, what the seven loses sight of, the ego loses sight of, is that is that the world could be utopian, and yet it isn't. And that's why we're so sensitive to suffering. And, and why the mask and that Peter Pan, that magic, that enthusiast is all the mask. And I always say to people, it's not who you are. You are so much more than your mask. However, the mask is there to, to help us cope. And so for the seven, that mask of, of Peter Pan and joy and magic is to do with, um, is to do with our own need to create utopia because we are so sensitive to the opposite. Yeah. And so as I've said to you in, in the, before you pressed record, you know, the real seven is actually a pretty anxious, anticipatory, self-doubting human. And it's always those hours before the dawn yeah. that are the hardest. And now what? No one would believe. So you are a seven, I'm a seven. We are depressed. <laughs> no one. No. Or so anxious or scared, you know. But And as I say to people, we can all experience these emotions. It's just depending on where our focus goes, where our addiction lies, whatever language you want to, to call it. And, and also there's nothing good or bad, right or wrong about your type because everything is appropriate in certain situations and relationships and circumstances, etc. It's about becoming aware yep. of what suits us and what doesn't. And I that's love, really I love this. And this gives me a totally new point of view on the Enneagram because I told you I have this book and I read about it and I thought it's another system to put you in a box. But now I understand it much better. And I had an idea and I want to pull up your chart because I wanted to focus on the powerhouse part as well. But before that, just... Um, Talking about what you just said, an idea came up. So in the human design chart, the openness that you see in your chart in those white spots, those white centers, these are the centers that are influenced, manipulated, conditioned most because it is totally open. And now I thought it would be so interesting to, to apply or to really marry human design and the Enneagram and look at the openness. So we can't do that now, but I would love to hear your thoughts. The openness, because the open centers are centers that when they are healed or deconditioned, they really have those amazing gifts. And maybe knowing the Enneagram as well could help understand the coping mechanism and could help 
see the magnificence behind this coping mechanism. So I don't know what you say, but I thought about this could be something that could go together. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about the sort of unconditioning of the conditioning. Yeah. And that's exactly what this map, the Enneagram map gives us. And, you know, for those of you who are listening who are resistant to typologies, it's not a typology. No, it's a it's a beautiful map to say this is the this is the path for you to uncondition firstly to see what that conditioning is that addiction that repetitive behavior is that we addicted to and then to see the way out of that but as one of my mentors in america russ hudson said to me once he was like honey you'll never lose your type no matter how much work you do so I, you know, the beautiful thing is we can take the gifts and work on the struggles, the beautiful struggle, as I call it. Yeah. And, and that's why I love the Enneagram, because it's a very dynamic system. It's not a sort of like, that's who you are, done, sorry for you. It's, it's like a beach ball. And if you look at the symbol of the Enneagram, every type, every number is connected to other numbers. And that's what I call our developmental lines. It's through that pathway. So that's why I always say I'm like an optometrist. Once I've got your number, I've got your code. And once I've got your code, I've got your blueprint. And then I can change your life. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. So it makes a lot of sense what you say. And um, I like that this could be combined. So it could, really could be combined. And I would love to look deeper into the Enneagram and what it could do for me or my clients. And um, yeah, maybe we are going to have a conversation about this. Um, I would love to share one amazing thing that stands out. And I touched upon this uh, in the beginning. So there is a connection between all of these defined centers. So that means that there is this energy blueprint that is just coming from within. And all the channels are your, and this is difficult to say because it's your definition, that's who you are. No one can influence this. This is your innate gift. And so what stands out, and I really looked at all the channels here, I would love to give it another topic. It's you being, <laughs> let's find a great combination, a genius that needs to stand out from the crowds and walks her own path in a highly creative individual way. And this attracts people that magnetizes the right people as you are this creative role model and as your message is meant for those who understand it. Um, so I love this combination. There is creativity, there is individuality, there is leadership, and there is um, you magnetizing the right people with your message that is not a mainstream message. And now I talked about all of these channel, uh, channels in one sentence. 
I wanted to dive into each channel, but it doesn't make sense. It makes more sense to really say, this is a great combination, just your gut energy, your self-awareness, your ability to speak, and your knowledge. This combined in this creative individuality and genius. Um, and I hope this is something that resonates with you a lot. I mean, you know, I was never a mainstream kind of girl. I'm not going to lie. I didn't fit into the school system too well. So I grew up believing I was kind of stupid. And I now realize that there's different kinds of intelligences. Uh, but what I can tell you is from my earliest memories, I've sort of swum against the grain. I've been my own, I beat my own drum. I haven't always been popular. I I wouldn't say, you know, I haven't been a rebel in terms of um I'm not I don't want to be consciously disruptive. Mm -hmm. But if I don't believe in something or if I don't agree with something, I definitely won't participate. And yeah, I mean I think that the personal mastery lab is testament to me you know, when I was a teacher, I rewrote the textbook because I didn't think the textbook was very good. I created the personal mastery lab because I couldn't find any Enneagram-based leadership programs that I thought were worthy of my clients. And so, yeah, I'm definitely the kind of woman that if I uh, believe in something, I and I did. For the personal mastery lab, I worked seven days a week for three years, about 18 hours a day, Firstly, certainly for the first year. Because when I'm into something, I'm really into it and I have to find out all the information and all the facts and then I never take anything at face value and then I put my creative spin on it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I suppose I have always been a creator. I've been, I was a ballet dancer. I was a drama student. I started my career as an actress. I was a voiceover artist for many years before I became a teacher. So I have always um, and also enjoyed creating and innovating stuff and manifest manifesting I, I often I love dancing still and so I often dance under the stars and think you know this is just a really powerful and beautiful way to express myself physically and emotionally absolutely. yeah absolutely and you said I always beat my own drum and believe it or not one of the channels is called the beat it's all about your ability and power to really move into your own direction and be a way show shower for yourself and for others. And the other one, and so this makes a lot of sense that you said I beat my own drum. The other one is um, called Rhythm. Wow. How crazy is that? Yeah. I think you being in the flow and being a magnetic person that pulls everyone um, in her realm of her natural rhythm and flow. And so this makes a lot of sense. So thank you for just validating the human design chart by saying you beat your own drum. Now, I would love to ask you two more questions. One question is, um, everything is so interesting that you share. How could people find out more about you and the Enneagram? How could they work with you, get some information about you? How can they find you? Well, thank you for asking that. Yeah, I'd love people to work with me. Uh, you could go to my website, 
which is www.safron, S-A-F-F-R-O-N, Bagley, B-A-G-G-A-L-L-A-Y.com. You could also send me an email, which is saffron at saffronbagley.co.za. And yeah, that's probably email is a really good way to communicate with me. Um, yeah, but otherwise my website gives an indication as to what I do, all the leadership programs, personal mastery programs I offer. And I, oh, you could follow me on social media. I'm the only Saffron Bagley in the world, I think. And I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Lovely. Thank you for sharing this. And uh, people can find all your information on the website of magnificence.com, magnificencepodcast.com, um, and find out everything about you and just click the link. So thank you for sharing this. My last question to wrap our beautiful conversation up is, do you have one little nugget, one insight, one inspiration, one experience, one tip, anything that comes to your mind right now that could be anything for the listeners? Sure. For Stephen, it's difficult to make decisions, hey? Um, it's interesting. When you started asking me that, I thought of a quote, actually. And the quote is one of my favorites, and it says, snatching the eternal out of the desperately fleeting is the great magic trick of human existence. And I've loved that quote since I was about 17. When I was 17, I, I went to school in the mountains and I was looking out over the city and I made a decision which influenced my entire life. And that was that I was never going to settle for any man, for any job, for any that didn't resonate with me. And it hasn't been easy but it's definitely been right. Yeah. Thank you. That is a beautiful quote. And I love that this came to you. And so I think this is a beautiful uh, quote for ending this wonderful conversation that we had. Um, we could go on talking forever in the day. <laughs> oh, oh, it was such a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for being my guest, sharing your magnificence. Um, and yeah, all I can say is again, thank you. And yeah, everyone should reach out to you. And really, I would you too. And I'm definitely going to be telling my clients about human design because I'm now fascinated and I definitely want to book more time with you to find out more about and about how the two systems can merge. We should I think that definitely. Wow. Prior. So, so thank, thank you. Really it's been a privilege. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you who watched the entire episode. It was a pleasure to share this with you. And I hope you tune in to another episode of Magnificent The Empowerment Podcast that strikes a match and shines the light on the magnificence of its guests and that gives you a spark of your own magnificence. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Thank you for joining us for this empowering episode. To continue this journey of aligning with your true purpose and uncovering your magnificence, schedule an illumination call with Patricia at patricialindner.com. Please share this episode with someone who needs it and subscribe to the show on YouTube and your favorite podcasting platform. Join us again soon for another episode of Magnificence.